Welcome to the Helping Hands podcast with me, Gail Louise Turner. On this podcast, I will be chatting to inspirational people and I will be finding out about their life story, their influences and how they give that extra helping hand every day. If you'd like to follow me, please go to my Facebook, which is Gail Louise Turner or on my Instagram, which is Gail GLT. Each episode of the Helping Hands podcast will be having an accompanying Spotify playlist with my guest musical influences. This can be found under Helping Hands podcast playlist on Spotify. Now it's time to sit back and relax and enjoy the show. Hello there, my name's Colin Turner. I've been invited to talk about my life and about um, helping hands. Um, I've been interviewed by um, Gail Turner and I'm going to hand over to her. Thank you, Colin Turner. So welcome to this Helping Hands podcast episode. Today I'm going to be interviewing and chatting to my dad. Um, and this episode is going to be series three, episode nine with Colin Turner. There's also an accompanying um, Spotify playlist, which accompanies every single episode on Spotify, where you can actually um, see that as well. And if you wanted to listen to um, Colin's music choices, you can go to Gail Louise Turner Helping Hands podcast playlist, series three, episode nine, Colin Turner. So with any podcast episode, we are trying to find those influential people who help themselves and others. So for me, it's about um, taking my dad back to his early childhood for him to tell his story today. So really, the I suppose the time I can remember about my early childhood was maybe when I was two or three. We'd moved around from the town of my birth. We were in Cheadle U. Um, I can remember growing up there, um, being with my mum and dad. Um, I suppose some of the earliest memories I can remember uh, with my dad was uh, going into town with them, and I had a little tricycle um, bike, three-wheeler bike, and I think um, they allowed me to ride into town, but probably I got tired, and I think that bike was carried home, and... um, Maybe I was partly carried home. Um, again, I can remember mum and dad lived in a fairly big house, uh, two or three stories. We had a garden at the back, which seemed to have a lot of frogs in it. And um, I suppose, you know, there were good times there and there were, um, you know, happy times. But uh, circumstances meant we had to move back to um, Congleton because my father passed away very young in his life. So if people want to follow you on, on social media and, and your profession, are you, are you able to, to tell the audience uh, where they can follow you and what you do for a living? Uh, no, I don't. I, mean, I apologise. I don't do social media. Um, I apologise for that. I do, I do use internet and I'm internet ready and stuff like that and I use a mobile phone, but uh, I, I don't follow any um, Facebook or anything like that. So 
we'll carry on. Um, okay, so after my father passed away, um, my mother brought me and my uh, sister back to Congleton. In time, um, my mum bought a house um, where we lived for a number of years through the 60s and into the 70s. And you could say, um, well, my mum was on my own, maybe I was a bit of a helping hand to her, um, being probably four or five years old. Um, I think my mum was probably mourning my dad. And I do remember she was upset quite a few times. And I suppose me and my sister were there as a, as a, a focus for her to be sort of a helping hand. Um, you know, we, we were just there and uh, things things were moving along. Um, I suppose in that time, looking back, being young at the time, we couldn't really do much help, but there was a, an incident um, that happened in the middle of the night. And um, what it was, I think my mum had been to the dentist earlier in the day and she'd had some work done on her teeth and in the middle of the night whatever had been done I think she'd started to bleed from her mouth well not having a husband at the time um, she just got me and my sister and I can remember in the middle of the night uh, mum getting us dressed and um, putting my sister in a pram when I was walking out from our home and we walked down to my mum's auntie's which was about a quarter of a mile away and I do remember it being a, a moonlit night and seeing the moon in the sky. But I can also remember that my mum was a bit quiet and walking with a sense of urgency as we were all, as my sister was in the pram and I was trying to hold on to the pram. And we went to my aunties. My aunties, ironically, lived next to somebody who could do dentistry work. And my auntie, I mean, my mum had to knock my auntie up, but then my auntie had to knock the next door neighbour up. And... Um, that next door neighbour did give mum some treatment, which made the uh, problem better or go away, because I do recall us walking back to home then and then being put to bed and not, not really remembering much more about it. Um, and yeah, so you, looking back, you think, well, it must have been awful for my mum. She had nobody to rely on and she had to do with that all on herself. I mean, luckily, her auntie was down the road um, who, who was able to do it, help us out. You know, over the next year or so, my mum did go on to meet uh, my father now um, and uh, went on to marry him. And I suppose really that's when things took off and, uh, you know, we uh, things were happy all around for everybody. Um, of that relationship, we had another sister come along the way, Hazel. And you could say happy times. Um, me dad, now worked in the construction industry and um, he was a, what I would call a grafter and he was um, always, he'd always come around with a big grin in him and he'd always be coming around with bags of wood for the fire and he always had some sort of thick donkey jacket on and a hat uh, and a, 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 a big grin. So there was always a roaring fire going in the front room of the house. We didn't have central eating in those days. Um, I mean, we weren't as, 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 as experiencing central eating. That wouldn't probably happen. 
till the um, the mid to late seventies uh, in my uh, lifetime. But yeah, the you know the the times were happy, etc., etc. I mean, I was at um, I went from primary school from about five onwards, which was a local primary school that I had to go on a bus to get to. It used to co cost a threepence to get there, like one of the multi-edged threepenny bits to get to the school and stayed at that school really until the final year of primary um, where we then moved to a other school where a number of schools, a number of village schools closed and they all amalgamated into one large primary school at Martin. I mean, through those primary years, I mean, it was a happy time while being at school. Um, where, where we lived in Congleton, we were surrounded by, there was a, a, a local sand quarry down the road. Um, there was farms and there was housing estates um, that were being built by our, behind our house. Um, I mean, in time, when we got older, my dad realised that um, the sand quarry being there, he realised me and my mates would go in that sand quarry I mean, as child, children, we'd gone through the rites of passage of learning to ride a bike, having, having go-karts made out of old pram wheels. But the, the adventures of the sand quarry beckoned. Um, sand was being extracted with uh, excavators and tractors and old dump trucks. So when you stood at the edge of the quarry, looking down into it, it looked a very exciting place. And I think Dad realised that, that me and my mates were going to go in that quarry, despite it being private property. He knew we were going to go in there. So he had the good sense to take me uh, one night when I was probably eight or nine years old. He may, he may have been a bit early in that. But he took me into the quarry, showed me how to, the safe way to get in there, and then the areas which the areas to avoid and to keep away for that presented the most danger. Um, I mean, the, the, the sand quarry was quite big. It probably occupied, um, probably at the time I started going there, the size of three or four football pitches. But in time, that would go on to expand in my lifetime living near there. Um, and, and again, the, the quarry was a, a, a place of adventure. There were piles of sand that you could jump on that had been, that had been already taken away from the uh, quarry faces waiting to be loaded into machinery or to be loaded onto lorries. There was water down there and there was lots of wildlife that had been established. There was, um, because they'd worked in certain areas and extracted the sand, water, they'd hit the water table in certain areas. So water lakes had uh, started to develop. There was bulrushes growing out of them. There was frogs, frog spawns. There was newts. And I can, I can remember it probably, and by the time we went into the quarry, right up into my uh, mid-teens, any time we went through the quarry, we were looking near the water. We were always looking for a, gr a great crested grebe, sorry, great crested newt. And um, we never saw one, but we saw plenty of other newts. And around the quarry, the quarry was, there was quite a lot of wildlife and the bushes and trees that had been planted already quite soon into the extraction of the sand. And that presented a lot of wildlife. And I suppose it's from that wildlife that we as uh, 
me and two or three of my friends, we became members of the YOC, which is a young ornithologist club, which was a, a bird watching club, um, a junior bird watching club from the um, RSPB, Royal Society for the Protection of Birds. And, and I suppose as we went through our late, um, late primaries, years going into the teen years, you know, we became more avid bird watchers and we expanded the horizons we, we operated in and used to um, hang around in. So whereas in the past we'd have probably left our estate to go and play in, the, in around the quarry, we used to walk through the quarry to get to the other side, to get to the farmland. And, um, and by this time now, I would probably be in my secondary years. And um, in the secondary years, um, we picked up a footpath that went through a farm. And um, this farm, what we discovered on this farm, the, the, the River Dane was at the end of this farm, but en route to the River Dane, we were walking through this uh, cornfield that hadn't yet ripened and come across a fox's burrow. And it was really big. So it did strike some interest up with us that, you know, ooh, we'd like to see the foxways in there. So um, we were looking at all sorts of ways, maybe, and thinking, well, how would we see this fox? So when we were walking over, we actually walked through the farm. And we came upon the farmer who we started talking to. Now, his name was Albert Hooley. So he operated a very small farm, about 80 to 90 acres. And we talked about this foxhole and he said, yes, he'd seen this fox and he was expecting it to come out when he'd, he'd do his, use his, com, uh, when he'd have the corn cup, the combine harvest later that year. Well, we asked his permission if we could come back later that night to try and see if we could see the fox at night. Now, I mean, at this time we were asking this, but I had to go home and ask my mum and dad whether I could stay out late, you know, because we were going to be staying out half, half nine, ten o'clock to come back to this. To, to see if we could see this fox, which my mum and dad did give me the uh, permission to go and do. And we duly went down and stood at the end of this burrow. But, you know, like young uh, teens, we didn't realise that the fox could probably smell our scent. And, it, and although we were metres away, they would knew we were there and would never come anywhere near us. So we never saw that fox. But later, in um, within about a couple of months, um, well, actually, yes, in a couple of months, we, um, we became aware that the farmer was going to cut that field. He, he was getting a combine harvester in to do that. So we asked if we could go down on the day they were cutting the corn, expecting to see this fox to come. Anyway, the, the corn was cut. We assisted with bagging up the, um, the wheat into Hessian sacks and putting it on trailers. It was very old school. And um, that fox never came out. We never saw that fox. But after that season, I think we helped maybe to, within a week of that, help get the straw bales. And from then on, for the next three or four years, a real friendship was formed with that farmer, where during the summer months, we'd go down after school and help him milk his cows, um, which he had a combination of Jersey and Guernsey cows. And um, I think he only had about 35, because he, he used to do the milking in one city. This Albert Hooley wasn't married. He, 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 sorry, he wasn't married, but he hadn't got any children. And he was probably in his 50s or 60s by now. They had a small dog called Tina, Jack Russell. Um, and this friendship continued for probably two or three years. We would, at, when spring comes, we'd start going down to milk at night after school. 
with him. Then when haymaking come, we'd help get the hay in. And when the, the combine harvest and the corn needed coming in, we'd help him get that in and subsequently straw. But after the first year of experience of filling wheat sacks, he, he um, did get a bit more mechanised. Um, the person who came and did the combining used to lend him a trailer. So the grain was put in a trailer and then there was two or three of us in the trailer shoveling grain into um, an auger that was probably only three or four hundred millimetres square. And then that was lifted up into a, a loft um, and dropped on a wooden floor. One of our mates would be up there and shoveling it about the floor to spread the weight. Over this period of three or four years, um, probably the latter two years that I worked on the farm, we were aware that a helicopter used to keep going across the farm. And uh, Albert Uli kept, used, to say, used to say to us, do you see that helicopter there? Do you see that helicopter there? That belongs to Mr. Bamford, the one who makes the JCBs. And the number of times he told us that story, it's unbelievable. Little did I realise that in later years, that I would actually go to work for JCB and I would get to ride in the JCB helicopter, albeit it wasn't the one that was flying over us. So the relationship with this farmer, unfortunately for me, ended because we, we my mum and dad and all of us, we moved to the other side of uh, Congleton to, um, to uh, move into a, a new house and, so, and start a different life. So although I'd moved away, I'd moved away from the, the sand quarry where when we were younger, we were fearless and we used to climb all over the machinery, jump in the sand, do lots of things that were wrong on the health and safety front. But we were fearless and they were enjoyable years. So really, when we moved on to the other side of the town, my, my relationship with that farmer ended, although I knew he was still there. But my two mates who used to go there, I'd see at school and I'd get the latest news on that. But the one thing is it's worth noting, it was quite interesting when we were at that farm, this Albertuli had these Jersey and Guernsey cows, and he always used to say to us, the best place to buy these is at Utoxita Cattle Market. And again, these words, it's amazing how these things crop up in my life so early on, and later in later years, I found myself working in Utoxita for the Bamfords. So it's amazing how your life turns around. Anyway, when we moved across to the, um, the old baby mid-teens now, by the time we've moved across to the other side of Congleton, new friendships have formed. Um, we had a boat in our household that we'd taken on holiday that my dad had made, a small boat, about three metres. We've got an outboard motor. And where we moved to, we'd moved nearer to a, ca a, ca a canal that um, was the Macclesfield Canal. So this gave us the opportunity to put this boat in the water. So my two sisters and some of her friends, and me and some new friends I didn't, all used to lift this boat into the water and, and row it up and, down the, um, up and down the river. Now I do recall really, because I was a bit older than my sisters. My sisters with their friends probably spent more time in the boat on this canal than I did. They'd get in it, row it down the, the, the canal a bit, and then they'd get a rope and pull it back, and they'd all get back in again. But there were fun times, etc., etc. But by this time, I'd met new mates, and I was probably, although in the 70s, while I'd lived on the other side of town with my mates, we'd 
we'd gone through the 70s, through the glam rock years where we'd listened to Slade um, and T-Rex and another of, no, other bands um, like, like The Sweet um, and a lot of up and coming bands that were um, Roy Wood. They, um, you know, your taste differ. And the mate I got into, I got, uh, uh, the new friends I made, were starting to get into, uh, were on the fringes of Nor Northern Soul and Tamla Motown, and up and coming artists were coming. So I was introduced to that. And I suppose that my first affray into that sort of music was sort of uh, Barry White. That's that's a really really good point. So I think that's uh, the perfect time to to introduce your Spotify playlist. Um, so again, um, if you would like to hear Colin's Spotify playlist, if you go to Spotify and look for Gay Louise Turner Helping Hands podcast playlist series three episode nine, Colin Turner. So for me, I would really um, like you to 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 go in uh, to some depth about the 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 rock movement and the the glam movement and. Um, David Bowie and and the sort of the seventies movement in this because I know you're a, a big fan of the 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 seventies music there. So your first one that you're choosing on your Spotify playlist would be Elton John and Rocket Man. Yeah, I mean I know it was, Elton John and Rocket Man actually did come out of the seventies, but probably I only picked up on that record in the eighties and nineties, believe it or not. Uh, and I would you know I probably say that is one of my favourite records. But like every, everything else in the 70s, I mean, pop music was changing on telly, was top of the pops, which was something that all the family used to watch week in, week out, used to be on a Thursday night. And at those times, it was glam rock. So all the bands like Slade and T-Rex and Roy Wood and The Sweet were all competing for sales with each other. And they all used to dress up in, in, in makeup, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I suppose at that time, I mean, one of Slade's famous rec records was Merry Christmas, Everybody, which is still played today, which is a catchy tune. But also coming up in the background was a guy called Rod Stewart. Um, and again, he, he probably had come through the 60s into the 70s, but he's got his own band and he had a few um, hits. But um, there is one of these songs, I think it's, um, I think he was in a four-piece band when he played this song. And he's got a track called Stay With Me. And it's got some of the best riffs and uh, singing and uh, and I would say reflects the uh, songs of the era. So it's a bit raunchy and rocky, but it's, it sort of reflects the 70s. And uh, it still sounds as good today as it did then. And I would challenge anybody to say differently. And of course, so if we go back to the, the 70s, I mean, you know, by the um, 75, 76, the punk era was sort of coming through there, was coming through there, but I wasn't really into that because I'd already, in the, about 74, 75, started to think about Tamla Motown and some songs on the fringe of Northern Soul. And that sort of brought us into the likes of Barry White um, and other people who could actually play um, Northern, Northern uh, sorry, Tamla Motown. So really, I suppose by that time I started to get into the, the likes of Stevie Wonder. And um, I do recall that uh, one Christmas asking for my main present, right, must have been 76, 77, has been um, the, uh, 
Songs in the Key of Life, which was a double album that Stevie Wonder had actually uh, put together. And uh, I think one of the title tracks on that, it's a catchy tune, is I Wish. I mean, that song and its beat was later used by um, the uh, one of the title tracks out of the Happy Feet film, albeit um, the words were, I think the words were changed, but it, the, the song was used as the, as the opening title on one of the Happy Feet uh, Penguin films. Um, and, and I suppose really, as I, you know, as I'm now going to, um, to my mid-teens now, I'm really starting work. And started as an apprentice. And again, as you, as you start going in as an apprentice, I worked, went in the railway industry, you, you know, a lot of the railway industry was in crew, which was some 15 miles away from where I live. So I used to travel to work on a train. But as you go at work and you go through your apprenticeship, you meet new people and they all have influences on you. They, they've all got musical, different musical choices, which they might say to you and et cetera, et cetera. But you don't necessarily take on board what they like. But I mean, there were all sorts of people, you know, some people were into heavy rock. Um, I can remember that when Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody came out, you know, there was a, a lots of people who really liked that, and that like became the main focus when it got to number one because it was there that long. But time moves on. I'm doing my apprentice. I'm doing technical studies at college. You know, you carry on. You do exams. You're trying to better yourself. Time moves on. I mean, all this time I've had a moped since the age of 16. You know, and you go out and meet friends around Congleton and, you know, eventually you start coming to the time when you want to pass your test in the car. So you, your parents help you to learn to drive, et cetera, et cetera. And um, you go through the rites of passage about doing that and uh, the challenges of learning to drive. Um, I mean, in my test, I'll be honest with you, I did think I'd failed my test within, within yards of finishing starting away from the uh, the driving school because I, uh, I stole the car pulling out in front of a, a car a car that was coming from my right and I thought that's it but about 25 minutes later into the test I'd um, I'd been given my emergency uh, stop treatment and I went up the uh, up the road for about another mile and a half did some reversing and we came back down the same road as a dummy emergency stop. And I had one in real life when a woman pushing a buggy pushed a child out between two cars in front of me and I, and I stopped straight away. So I do believe that's what saved me and actually made me pass my test. So that was that. And, you know, in time now, I mean, music's moving on and there's a sort of a disco theme starting to come now um, in the 70s. Okay, Colin, so what were your influences growing up then? So were you influenced by music, television, books, uh, children's television, films and television you watched, um, people that you met on your travels? What were you influenced by? Well, I suppose, I mean, if you just, I mean, if you just go back to the basic television things, like every child watched Blue Peter, um, and that gives you a good grounding. So it's like a magazine program. So you see lots of things, adventure. There was also another program, Magpie. I think that was on the other channel. Sometimes you, you watch that, but I wasn't really that into that. 
I suppose really on the puppet front, so always been interested in engineering things and excitement. You know, Thunderbirds, puppet show Thunderbirds was was always there because it offered a bit of a view on science fiction and, and stuff like that. Again, top of the pops from the point of view of um, music. And also John Craven's news round, I think, came out. I think John Craven was in a program called Search. Then I think he may, in, in my, um, as I grew older, he started to have this John Craven's news round. Yeah, so I suppose they were influences on, on me. And of course, you know, you've got uh, all sorts of other situation comedies in between that, you know. Um, there was something called Terry and June in those days. June Whitfield and Terry, it was Terry Scott. That was very much. Um, and The Good Life, I suppose, which is still being shown today. I you mean, mentioned earlier, and uh, just going back onto that point now, you mentioned earlier about um, glam rock and your music. So obviously still talking about your, your influences, what you wanted to talk about, just but just to, to mention your musical influences, you've chosen Blockbuster and Sweet. So why have you chosen that glam rock song? Um, I suppose really it's got a really good start with a bit of a siren and a bit of a good guitar riff at the start of it. Um you know, and it, it, it continues throughout it. So it's loud and it's um, a bit unique in its, its starting and the guitar riff. But, you know, um, the suite were very, like you say, glam rock, rockish. So I didn't really like all their stuff. I mean, you know, as time moved on, although I'm not, I haven't chosen it as a record, you, you know, bands came along like 10CC. Um, I know my sisters were into the, the Bay City Rollers all sorts of team bands etc etc so i mean my influence when i moved on to this, the side of the town as i said before i would was sort of stevie wonder getting into the 70s and really you're coming into sort of the disco age there but i mean i suppose the disc you know you started listening to music more in the sort of pastimes you had and i can remember being in my mid-teens always having had an interest in airplanes and stuff like that that was an opportunity to join a new uh, air cadet corps that was being set up in Congleton. Um, it was a detached wing of, a, of an air cadet corps in, in Biddle. So from the sort of uh, 73, uh, 72, 73, um, got the opportunity to join the air cadets. You know, I didn't join the scouts, I was into the air cadets, doing outdoor things, walks. You get got to, to go away on camps got to experience um, in flying in aeroplanes and uh, going on RAF bases. I've been to a couple and been to RAF West Raynham and, and then I've been to RAF uh, Hereford. In both those cases, stayed there for a week and enjoyed all the activities that go with it, from flying to doing sports. When we were at Hereford factory, we went to the Bulmer Cider factory where they make cider. And in, in later life, I mean, as, it, as towards the end of my career in the, the Air Cadets, as I really started work, um, I got to experience gliding. And um, I trained to learn how to fly a glider solo. Um, you do a series of training lessons. This was done at RAF Turnhill. Do a series of training lessons in the glider. The glider's towed up by a winch cable. When it gets as high as it can, you let the winch go. That parachutes to the ground. 
and then you just rely on the wind to, to keep you in the air. But you have to do a number of what are called flights and sorties before they allow you to go solo. And then you get tested out by somebody else in the back. But then comes the day you have to do your solo. And so you're in there and you're doing your pre-pilot checks. And then you give the signal to the winch to the winch to take the cable up, take the slack up. And then the next thing you know, you give the all out signal. And then the winch is towing you down the runway. And as the glider picks up speed, it climbs in the air. And the winch is towing you. But there comes a point where the winch can't get the glider any higher than that. And you have to pull a little lever and it releases the cable. And so I can remember that first solo that once that cable was gone, I thought, oh, my God, it's just me up here now. Anything that goes on, it's up to me. If it falls out of the sky, it's down to me. And so I just pushed the joystick forward and that just tilted the nose down and made the glider speed up. And basically you fly a circuit, which is four squares of a box, four edges of a box. But on by the end, and then you turn at the end of each length. But you have to be at certain heights above the ground at each of those turns so that you're at the correct height to do your runway, you do your runway landing. Although we did actually land on grass. Um, I can remember doing that and then I came into land and once I was down, the trainer came over to me and said, well done, but then give me a minor reprimand that the route had chosen for my final leg. I'd gone over some aerial that stuck, stuck up straight in the, off, the, off this hangar, straight up in the air. He said if it had flown too low, the, the aerial could have gone through the bottom of the glider and pulled me out of the air. But then you go on to do two further solos, and that's the end of it. And, you know, once you've done that gliding, I did stay in the air, cadets a bit longer, just understand the entertainment. But because I've been at work for, you know, some years, I'd start, you know, I left the air cadets. And then I suppose you're doing the activities with your apprenticeship and your training and, you know, learning to drive. Etc. Etc. So, and then of course the influences changed. Punk rock had gone. There was a disco field coming, and so on that basis, then you get with your mates and start considering, you know, um, start going to nightclubs and meeting people and going to dances and stuff like that. Um, I did go to one Northern Soul Day, which was uh, on Boxing Day, which is a uh, a few months before I met Kay. Um, or, you know, I have a, had a bit of an interest in Northern Soul, but I'm not an, an avid person on that. I'm more eclectic on my taste. And, of course, you know, time moves on. You complete your apprenticeship, you know, and the relationship with Kay moved on, engaged, engaged. And then after some time, we buy a house, then we get married, um, and then we start to enjoy foreign holidays. And both Kay and myself have travelled by train. Um, this was the benefit of working in the railway industry. We could get free travel abroad. So we've travelled by train and slept overnight on the train carriages. And um, that was interesting. And, um, you know, there's some funny stories um, about the train, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I suppose the second, the most funny story is really on the second Second year we travelled by train. There was a party of 12 of us that were going from London through to um, through to Rome initially. And when we were sleeping overnight, you sleep in these, these uh, cabins, which are called couchettes. They have six bunks in them. 
Minke had the top bunk on either side. So she was on one side of the top and I was on the other. So you do keep your clothes on, but everybody tends to, once they get under their sheet, take the trousers off. I can recall taking my trousers off, putting them under my pillow. I can remember Kay waking me up in the night, asking, whispering to me, shut the window, it's too flipping cold, which I did do. And as I was puffing my pillow up, I said, oh, where's my trousers? They're not under the pillow. And I looked down in the bunk below, and there is my trousers folded up on the, on the person who's asleep below. So I had to gently retrieve them and pull them back up without waking them. And then, um, you know, we had an enjoyable holiday then that we were in Italy, and I think it was 82 when Italy won the World Cup. We were there, actually, on the World Cup night, and that was big celebrations, everybody on scooters, lots of beer being thrown around and champagne. And, yeah, good times. And then, of course, time moves on. And we, we have our children, Gail and Daniel, and, um, you know, family life carries on. And then you're trying to do your best for everybody and you, your family. You, you look after your parents and you share good times with all the family. And all that time you're looking at, you know, where you work and whether you should be developing yourself and always redeveloping your career and support it with some sort of technical qualifications. That's what I've continued to do. And I've always, and I suppose going back to my days as a, a young lad when we used to be in the sand quarry, I've always had an interest in everything engineering. So that's why I pro probably when I was in the quarry, I used to like seeing the plant in there. And then, you know, working on locomotives when I was in the railways. And then in time, you know, we get the opportunity to move on, move up your career. And that's how I ended up with being with my current organization, which makes excavators. And so, you know, heavy engineering again, that's good. And I suppose the interest I had through the air cadets with the airplanes and bombers, you know, it's um, very much so that you, you like things that are noisy, big. And you could say that my career has had all facets of planes, trains and automobiles. And you could say the automobiles bits now is the JCB machines that uh, I've been involved with for a number of years. Um, and so throughout my career at JCB, well, which is uh, been since the late 80s now, I've seen a number of changes, a number of JCBs come and go. And I've had the opportunity of working at a number of um, career positions from engineering, helping to set up production lines, to programming computerized machines, to managing men. I've also had the opportunity to um, use a stopwatch and time time jobs and stuff like that. Uh, I've also had the opportunity to go on various courses um, and, you know, to better myself. And I suppose, you know, time moves on and you find yourself where you are now in, in the, over the last few years. And as my career's pro progressed, I've, I've moved a number of places and I, I now find myself in health and safety. And um, again, where in the past, where all my JCB career has, has been involved in building the JCB machine, which I said before, ironically, if you go back to my childhood when I said we were collecting those hay bales and that JCB helicopter flew across, I, later, I find myself in later life working for that organisation. And uh, it's quite amazing, you know, to find out with the experiences I've had. So... Um, JCB has been a good organisation, like the railway organisation before, because it's given me the opportunity to 
uh, undertake loads of activities. Nowadays, you know, I'm, I'm a long way from the trade I learned as an apprentice in, in mechanical fitting and tool room work. And now into health and safety and making sure jobs are safe and the, and, and you know, you could say carrying out helping hand duties to ensure that the people who work for the department I do work safely and for anybody, any contractors we engage in our department also work safely. So you could say I'm helping hands and looking after their safety and their welfare um, in a positive manner. So, and, um, you know, as, while all this is going on, there's more career uh, support having to be taken in undertaking qualifications and bettering yourself. And again, all this time you meet new friends, new influences about what people have done. And, um, and I suppose it's really in the latter years when you're in my career at JCB that's given the opportunity to take um, the children on foreign holidays, um, like doing the European ones, flying, etc. But there has been the opportunity to travel America, to America with the children. And like a lot of you know, like a lot of families, as a rite of passage, our children have done the um, the Disneyland's of the world and the um, the Water Worlds uh, activities. But they, you know, when they when they pass through university, they have also joined uh, us on trips to um, road trips on certain parts of America and seen quite a diverse culture and landscapes. Um, that operate there you know and while all this is going in the background you know you, you you're still connecting you to your family and you 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 support your, your mom and dad and your brothers and sisters and your, your relations where you can and um, they in turn have always supported you as you've grown up and I'd like to think that uh, how I am today reflects the influences my mum and dad have had on me and um, you know, the interface now we were brought up when uh, me and my two sisters lived at home uh, and some of the experiences we enjoyed there, caravan holidays to uh, um, in, in Bournemouth and uh, boating experiences. So, yeah, you do have a lot of influences. So do you have any regrets at all? Um, I suppose looking back at... I mean, I do remember something. I do remember when I was young, and it was probably the Christmas after my first dad died. Not that Christmas, the Christmas after. I asked Santa Claus for a certain present. And um, I, I did get a present that was similar to it, but I complained and that I wasn't happy with it. And in, nowadays, I've always regretted that because Santa Claus, had re under the circumstances, had worked really hard to get that present. And there'd been a lot going on at the time. So, you know, I look back on that and, some, and that, was, that was naughty of me to complain. But um, I would like to think I've, you know, uh, worked at things and, and, and behaved myself on various other issues and shown care to other individuals to uh, overcome that. So what are your future plans? Well, future plans, well, to enjoy holidays, as many as I can, and the experiences in life. I've tended to 
um, take more interest in gardening now and there's like more focus on the home. I mean, I've always done some sort of level of do it yourself. Uh, and again, you want to do that and you, 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 know, you want to support your family and ensure that they can move on. And we now build our own dynasty of like our parents built the family dynasty. So looking to try and build our own family dynasty. And in the background to help support that, I mean, I've got some pastimes. I'm still into aeroplanes, but now it's, I've got more of an interest in sort of um, RAF planes, uh, air shows, also an interest in airlines and how they're built and flying holidays. So may try to get some more holidays in through our life. Um, also taking in probably over the last 30 years, an interest in Formula One, um, I was a very big supporter of Nigel Mansell when he won the uh, World Championship and also Damon Hill. And I'm still watching Formula One today. Uh, I'm, I mean, I still try and back um, Alonso nowadays. And so, again, and I'm still listening to music. You know, time moves on. And there are new tracks now, but I, I still find myself hankering back to the... Uh, 70s although recently i've been going back into the 60s and taking an interest in some of the bands like the hollies hollies they've got a cell they've got a song carousel you know it's only when you go back that you don't realize how good the hollies were at the time you thought they were a boring band when you were in your 70s and 80s but um, you know they were playing uh, musical instruments before a lot of the technologies the synthesizers are about now so it's more about raw talent and vocals. So, yeah, so I, I still listen to music. I've got an eclectic taste and, you know, of CDs and computerized tracks, everything from classical and um, through to, to pop music and sort of light rock. The classical influences um, came from um, my dad when he remarried my mum in the 60s, in the late 60s. He brought uh, a taste in classical music um, through um, old magnetic tapes on tape reels, everything from Beethoven to Wagner to Czech, um, Tchaikovsky. Um, the, the list is endless. I'm, and my, I know my father, even in retirement, still uh, follows music avidly of classical music. So that classical music was influenced on me and my sisters, etc. I suppose one song, the one song that was influenced on all of us more than anybody else was uh, Scheherazade, um, which is a classical track about story of, um, uh, I think it's an Arabian prince that is the story behind it. My dad would tell the story better. But yes, yeah, so there are classical influences. You know, I, I mean, I have actually got my own guitar. I did have a couple of years at... Um, lessons with it but um for, for about 10 or 12 years i haven't picked that guitar up but i suppose if and when they get a bit older and go into retirement that guitar i will pick it up and um i suppose you know there's still plenty to do that's time hand at building model railway layouts and um, you know still carrying on with the plane spotting etc and even maybe the train spotting because i've still got the influences from when i worked at the railways Although things change nowadays, the, the type of rolling stock that they're building now and using as locomotives and for carrying trains is nothing like the heavy duty stuff that we worked on when we were younger. 
big diesel engines with generators and alternators. Yeah, things are changing. So, I think with the um, talking about uh, uh, engineering and and how things are changing with, with with obviously they're looking at climate change, they're looking at the 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 G seven and they're looking at um, trying to make things better. Do you think the advancement in technology will help that? Do you think things are going to change now? Because obviously we we we've just gone through um, a COVID nineteen pandemic and all the, the the strains of that. Do you think with obviously what's happening in Russia? things are going to change for the better or do you think things are going to get worse are we going back to the past when we had when we had the flu epidemic in 18 and 19 do you think things are going to be different now i think things are different now i mean we yes in the background there is the war russia invading ukraine and i'm not quite sure how that'll play out that might carry on for some years and that's that is having influences on everybody's economy and um from a financial point of view, but before that came along, because of the environmental considerations and trying to make sure the, the, the world looks after itself and we all have a better perspective on environment, things are going to change. There's been you know big development in electric cars and people are moving away from the uh, petrol and diesel cars with the combustion engine. I'm not sure I'm looking forward to having an electric car because I do enjoy driving my petrol car but I mean you could say that might be a bit being selfish but the technologies on the um, combustion engine car I've got better so the improvements in miles per gallon and actually the, um, the amount of emissions that have been emit, emitted by the latest petrol and diesel cars is a big improvement from where we were in the 70s and the qualities of the cars are totally different but those cars have got technology in and the only thing about the technology is, unlike the 1970s, when anybody could turn their hand to repairing their car by tinkering about with spanners in the engine, you can't do it nowadays because all these engines have got computers in, like the mobile phones. They've all got little mini computers. In. So you can't do that. So technology is better in some ways that cars and equipment runs more efficient. It's taking the ability away to people to practice uh, some of their mechanical skills. But, you know, new technology will offer comforts of home for people and uh, individuals. And I mean, the aim, we all need to go that way to make the, the world a better place. We need to look after it because it's the only one we've got. Well, thank you very much for participating on this Spotify um, uh, episode for the Helping Hands. Obviously, it will go through to, to captivate Spotify and Apple Podcasts, uh, your episode there for series three um episode nine thank you very much and and uh, have you enjoyed participating in the episode today yeah thank you very much for this and uh, i'm looking forward to hearing the uh, the uh, final version so thank you for inviting me thank you and enjoy your weekend thank you bye bye